Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why, hello there. It's Danny Rocket. I'm one of the hosts of The Sun Ranto Show with a quick uh, message asking you to please join our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash sunranto. Why? Well, because A, it's the right thing to do because you'll be helping us keep the lights on here at the podcast and pitching in. And uh, B, because there's all sorts of benefits. First of all, you can download the show uh, early and ad-free. In fact, the patrons have already had it, uh, this Ryan Dempster interview, for an entire uh, uh, two days they've had it. And um, also, I've been going live on our Super Ranter page on Facebook after almost every single game just to say what's up for 5-10 minutes, interact with people, talk about what happened in the game. That's also a Patreon perk. Uh, You get your own RSS feed for that uh, ad-free and early show. There's perks at every level. You can get all the music from me and the Bleacher Bum Band throughout the year on there. If you join at the $5 level, you can get a calendar. There's just If you would buy a beer, per, one beer per year for each host of this show, all three of us, well, that's the $3 level. So just that's a $12 uh, pledge. And you can pay all at once, $10, you covered for the whole year, and it helps out the show a heck of a lot, okay? So patreon.com slash sunranto, get it done. Kobe blue blood flowing through our veins, sitting in the bleachers in the rain. We've shed a million tears and drank as many old style beers out at the game. Let's go, Kobe Sunranto with Michael Sunranto and Crawley Sunranto and the lovable loser Sunranto with Michael Sunranto and Crawley Sunranto and the lovable losers Sunranto. was a little extra there, Mr. Cotton. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome to the Sun Ranto Show, a very special edition of the Sun Ranto Show. Uh, I'm Danny Rocket. I'm here with uh, Crawley the Cub. And uh, down, down below, we got uh, Michael Cotton, Cub X3. And uh, uh, Crawley, why don't you explain what we're doing tonight? Well, tonight we got a real special show here. We have with us a real Major League ball player who spent 16 seasons in the bigs, eight and a half with the Cubs. You remember him as a real anchor of those 2007-2008 teams. World Series champion with the Boston Red Sox in 2013. He was with the front office when the Cubs won it in 2016. Broadcaster on MLB Network. And now you see him on marquee as host of Off the Mound. We're proud to introduce Ryan Dempster. Come on in. Hey. Evening, everyone. Evening, guys. Hey, how you doing? 
Uh, how's your night going? Uh, good. I, uh, I actually had a, uh, daddy daughter day pretty much with my youngest, my two and a half year old, uh, kind of spent the whole day with her and we just did a ton of fun stuff and had some dinner and it's night, night time for her. And I'm just chilling in my office, going through baseball cards and you, you, I've noticed that about you is that you've really gotten into the hobby. What got you into baseball cards? I, I've been that way. I, I got away from baseball cards for a while is what happened. I actually, one of my first jobs is working at a card store, you know, and then I'd have to put mirrors on the shelves because my buddies would come in and be like, what, what about that one up there? And so then when I turn away, they'd try and rifle cards off the counter. <laughs> I, I had to combat that somehow. I just loved it. I, I was a big hockey card collector, a hockey sticker collector, like the little peachy books that you would get and you'd peel the stickers off and put them in and, um, and it's been fun. My son's now, you know, going to be 15 here soon, and he's right into it. So we're doing it together. It's a ton of fun. That it really, it really is booming right now. The ho- the the card uh, uh, hobby right now, it's just absolutely booming. Do you still have the cards from when you were a kid and and growing up, or di- or did you lose a lot of those like when you left and your mom threw them away or something like that? Um, no, I had a bunch of them put away. So some some good cards in there, and then uh, had uh, my dad has by far the largest collection of my cards that you'll ever see in your life. I, I feel like our parents' generations learned the lessons, right? Because they all had parents who, you know, had the Joe DiMaggio that would have been worth 50 grand or something. Yeah, yep. meanwhile, I, right. everybody, everybody's like, oh, I used to put up my bike spokes, you know, and then I'd go to do that. My dad's like, hey, you know, I wouldn't do that. Why don't you use a deck of cards, like a playing cards, you know? And I was like, <laughs> see? Smart idea. Now, you collected hockey cards. You grew up in British Columbia, Canada. What got you playing, say, baseball more than hockey? Yeah, you know, a um, couple things. It was, first of all, like, I just grew up in a softball, slow-pitch softball playing family. So, you know, it was you know, weekends at the beer gardens collecting pop cans and beer cans and returning those for five cents a piece. And, uh, oh, we don't have a rover to go play. Somebody give Ryan a glove when I was four years old. And I just went and stood in the outfield and chase down balls while the other people were sipping on their cold ones. So, um, and it just kind of went and just steamrolled that way. And then my, my papa, my, my uh, dad's dad was really into baseball. So when I'd go out there on weekends and we'd watch Mariner games and Blue Jay games and, um, and I'd sit on his lap and he'd sit there and, you know, tell me about the game and this is how you play it. And this is what you got to do. And then I just fell in love with it and it was just contagious and sent me to baseball camps when I was a kid and, I tried hockey for a year, but it was it was a we didn't have a lot of money, so it's an expensive sport for for some people. And um, and then b the hockey rink was like thirty minutes away. I had two younger brothers, and my mom was going like back and forth to the rink and all this kind of stuff. And she's like, "You guys can play everything and no hockey, or just hockey and nothing else." And we were like, you know, let's go. I skated like Happy Gilmore anyway, so it was like. <laughs> The Sunranto Show is brought to you by eBay Sneakers. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair that you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you so you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal and for the sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers 100 or more making it free to sell or flip your collection 
With other sites, they take as much as 25%. You're going to have a lot of extra money left over for more sneakers. So check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Oh, one more thing about eBay. Uh, In partnership with eBay, Armchair Media is going to be raffling off four custom-made sneakers. So each purchase you make before March 31st through ebay.com slash sneakers will enter you into a drawing for a one-of-one pair of Air Force One low tops. So just send a screenshot of your purchase to at Armchair Media on Twitter or on Instagram. Our show, The Sun Ranzo Show, is also brought to you by the good people at Bet Online. Uh, now, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all the sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. But you are a big hockey fan because I remember in, in 2010, the Hawks go on that run, yeah. and, and you were like at a, a whole bunch of games. And I was there the day they brought the trophy out, and yeah. I think Ted Lilly had a no-hitter going into the ninth against the White Sox. Yeah. But you went out and partied with the Blackhawks the night they they had the cup, and then you pitched the next day. And you said you pitched well. You pitched over five innings. I think you gave up one or two runs. But you, what did you say? You said if you're going to be out with the Owls, you got to wake up and soar with the Eagles. Is that right? Yeah, and those guys were – they were the Owls and the Eagles the same night. That's like – one of the coolest photos I've ever had in my entire life. One of the coolest experiences, you know, and I, I'll never forget because Taves had the cup and he brings it out to the mound. And I know the rules, right? Like you don't pick up the Stanley Cup unless you win it. That's just how it goes. You can hold it. You just don't put it above your head. And, I, and he goes to give it to me. I go, what do you want me to do with this? He goes, pick it up. And I go, I can't. He goes, if you don't, 40,000 people here are going to boo you really quick. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, wasn't really that, you know, unfamiliar, but, uh, I just was like, all right, and I'm telling you, it was like I lifted it up, and it was just like this. It felt like a feather. It was such an adrenaline rush. You know, here I am, this Canadian kid as a baseball player who loved hockey growing up, standing on the my mound at Wrigley Field with the Stanley Cup champions, and they give me that thing. It was – I mean, it's right right there behind winning the World Series. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And, and as a Canadian, you were second – in strikeouts, your victory starts, innings pitched. Obviously, Fergie Jenkins, your fellow Canadian brethren, was the uh, number one on all that. But you were also uh, inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. You know what? And that's the thing. Fergie can't have it all. That was incredible. <laughs> him to be putting it on. But, like, yeah, he had wins. He has strikeouts, complete games, all this stuff. But I had him in base on balls, hit by pitches, and I gave up way more grand slams. So take that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, we, we have a, a tape of actually Fergie. We, we paid for his cameo to do an introduction to the show. you got to check this out. He totally butchers it. Check this out. This is Fergie Jenkins. You're listening to Sean Randall, the 69th Beth Cup Podcast. Just just butchered the whole thing. Sean Rando. I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. It's you know, it's it's phonetic. But 
But uh, no, that's got to be such a cool experience to to be really one of the few kind of Canadian baseball players. I, I know that Rowan Wick right now is is maybe the only one in the Cup system right now. I'm not sure of that, but there's not a lot of guys that come out of Canada. So I mean, do you do you feel like that? I know that they're trying to grow the sport all the time, and I'm sure you have lots of friends and family that are still up there. Do you feel like that there's going to be a time where there'll be an uh, maybe the need or want for another team up in Canada uh, or, or are we, is there just going to be the blue Jays? No. And I, and I know firsthand that um, there's a group, you know, Eric Gagne is part of the group that's trying to get the team in Montreal back. I always felt like Montreal could sustain a team if you did it the right way. You know, you, you make a smaller stadium. Um, you know, I look at like the Montreal Alouettes. So when the Alouettes were playing out at the Stade de Olympique there, they weren't drawing very well. It was the occasional. Then they started playing at McGill's University down downtown. They're sold out every game. You know, the Stad's so far away, you know, when they built it at the, at the Expo at that time, it, it made sense, but it's just hard to get people to go there. It was, you know, and the area it was in, just a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, kind of older homes there and just just not the place to go to watch a baseball game. Um uh, place for a rave, actually. Interesting story about that. Um, the true, true story. I'll, I'll get back to the, the, the this team SX. So we're playing in Montreal. This is why I love this the Stad. It was like I pitched well there. I pitched well against the Expos. It was in my home country. You know, we never went to Toronto because I was in the NL, so it was always great. But so I, I pitched, pitched great. The next day, I go to like run around the bases. Or I run around the outfield and do my running and stuff, and I'm as I'm like every time coming around the right field corner, I just can hear this like boom, 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 you know, and I'm like, what is going on? You know, I was like, their club and it was early, so I'm like, the players wouldn't be. I thought it was maybe a car park back there, so then I just tucked in behind the center field wall and it keeps getting louder and louder and louder, and then I get into the inners of the stadium and I open this door. And everybody's in white, and there is a full rave going. <laughs> One o'clock in the afternoon from the night before. You know, like, oh, my God. Like, with IVs hooked up to them. And I'm like, guys, get your shorts and shirts on and your glow sticks. We're going. Come on. <laughs> now, see, Ryan, if Rob Manford wants to grow baseball, why not allow raves at the park to get younger people in? Well, right now we can't do that, but eventually when we get back to it, I think it's a great idea. You want to connect with the younger crowd? You know, they're only going to come out to their seat for a couple innings anyways, so it's perfect. <laughs> now, you, well, you, they, they try to play the rave music while you're sitting in the stands anymore, and it's uh, it's a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> now, you came into the league in 1998. You started with the uh, Marlins, and I just love this picture right here. Look, look at the young Ryan. It doesn't Dunstein. even look like you. Wow. Like, but, who is that guy? That, that can't be Ryan Dempster. Do wow. you remember your first start at Wrigley Field? I do. Yeah, I struck out Brand Brown to start the game on three pitches. I'm like, piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I should have been starting Jim to Mr. Leland. You know. <laughs> then I walked Mickey Mor- uh, Mickey Morandini, and then Sosa took me deep. Then I walked Mark Grace, and Henry Rodriguez took me deep. And I was like, whoa, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> So that was your and you're first like, point. and you're like, but did you see the first guy? I nailed him. <laughs> and all I'm thinking in my head is, man, those guys down in the bullpen that were yelling all that crap at me were right. I do suck. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
after Miami, you go to you go to the Reds, and then you come to the Cubs in two thousand four. Uh, you know, recovering from Tommy John surgery. What was it like transitioning from being a starter to a closer to a reliever? Yeah, it's kind of interesting how it happened. To be honest with you, so I signed. I wanted to come to the Cubs. I loved playing there. Like you know, my first start, it was like I got to play. I remember that moment running out to center field and being like, I got to be a Cub player here sometime. Like this is amazing. And then, you know, it all happens. I'm hurt. I had Tommy John. I was signing with the team uh, to rehab basically the whole year, and then they had the team option as long as I was healthy. And so Jim Henry signed me, and things were going great. You know, rehab was going awesome. I was throwing well. I made the A-ball all-star team as per a fake press release. They got me. They pulled a little <laughs> on me. I'd started so many games for the Lansing Glugnuts that they just said, oh, you made the Midwest League all-star team. I'm like, really? You know, like <laughs> – doesn't make sense. But, um, and then we had, you know, you had Maddox, Woody, Pryor, Zambrano, and Clement. So we had five really good starters, and it was like, I'm throwing the ball really well in AAA, cruising AAA hitters. My arm feels great. So I called up Dusty and Jim and was like, hey, what if I just started throwing out of the pen? Like, you don't need another starter. Um, and if need be, you know, if something happens to a starter, I can get extended again real quick. So they were like, you would do that? And I'm like, yeah, like we were, had a good team in 04. Like we were close, you know, until that last 10 days of the season, as everybody remembers. But so then it just kind of happened like that. I made a couple of relief appearances and they put me in the bullpen. And uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, an adrenaline rush, something different. But I thought I was going to go back to starting, which I did the following spring training. And then it was like, hey, we don't, you know, we, we don't have a closer. Latroy was struggling. Uh, Borowski was hurt, I think, and it was like, all right, cool. And I just like, it was, I just saved every game. I blew my first save opportunity, and then it was just like, save, save, save. It was crazy. So, uh, so what's the difference with the preparation? Like starter, middle reliever, is it be a closer? Like, what's the what's the mindset that you have to have to do those three jobs, and how are they different? Yeah, well, like you know, starter, I can be so regimented as far as what I'm going to do because I, I other than my day of pitching, I pretty much know the outcome of that day. Like I'm throwing a bullpen, I'm lifting my legs, I'm running poles, I'm going for a distance run, I'm lifting upper body, I'm throwing another side, I'm doing these different things that are that are easy to do because I've been doing it my whole life and it, I'm just conditioned. So it's like clockwork to do that. I had to learn like, what do I do? When do I lift? Do I lift after games? Do, do I lift heavy legs, but then, you know, uh, before the game, and then all of a sudden I got no legs to pitch. So I, I kind of picked brains of relievers. Like, I'd go out before uh, – Trevor Hoffman was great with me because uh, he just was like, you know, try to run every day. Remember, you you might pitch five days in a row, and so you got to always have your arm ready. So run 20 minutes, get the sweat in, get the lactic acids out of your arm. You know, don't go too long without lifting. If you, if you think, oh, you're going to, you know, save it because you might pitch tomorrow, no, just have your routine and try and set it. So I was really – kind of just trying to set a different routine, but try to stick to that. And and then the big thing I, I did, which I asked, and they were so great about the first year, was I got to pitch every third day. I was one of those guys, the longer I went without pitching, the more wild I got. I didn't have as much command. So Dusty was really good about just getting me in games every every third day. Even if – like he would say, oh, what if, you, what if I need you three days in a row? I'm like, cool, use me three days in a row. I don't care if it's five in a row. Let's go. You know, like right. I'll figure it out. If that means that we're winning five games in a row and you need your closer, <laughs> it has to be somebody else. We're in a good spot. You know, like that's that's a good thing. So, yeah, it was it was a, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed the the adrenaline rush of it. I just I really love yeah, starting. You went, you went uh, thirty three saves and thirty five opportunities in 05. 
And then after a few lean years, 2005, 2006, Lou Pinella comes to town. What was that like? I mean, what a transition between managers, between Dusty and Lou. I mean, that had to be night and day, right? Yeah, I mean, they had a lot of the same philosophies. They managed, you know, successful managers in the big leagues. And, you know, uh, they were they were really good about, um, you know, letting the veteran guys do their thing. I really respected that, and I like that. I've always been a proponent of, like, you're doing a job, right? Like, I'm not a little kid. I'm being paid to do a job. I know it's fun and it's a game, but if you're going to be, like, looking over your shoulder going, are you stretching or are you doing what you need to be doing? you probably really shouldn't have that guy in your system. You should be somewhere else, you know, like, so I, I, both of those guys, it was easy to play for because I was a guy that I didn't need that guidance. So it was nice to have that. Lou was just a little bit more, you know, uh, in your face. Like, I think this might be Cincinnati right here, to be honest with you. Um, Opening day uh, of 2007. So I'll backstory. I pitched Friday in Vegas. So you can imagine Friday night was pretty fun. (laughs) <laughs> um, and Saturday morning until I got to the ballpark at about noon. I think I slept underneath a desk in the locker room. Uh, and uh, I actually I did because Larry Rothschild walked in, found me, and he goes, are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> so so uh, we, go, uh, we go Saturday, then Sunday off. We traveled Saturday, Sunday off. Monday we lose 16-4, to 4, I think, Z pitch that day. Tuesday off. So now it's Wednesday. We're winning eight to one, and uh, I'm getting an inning at work in the ninth inning, and I get the first guy out, and then I walk in Carnacion on four pitches, fastballs down and away that I just miss. I'm not wild; I just miss. And yeah, I should have thrown the ball way more. Then I go one out to Junior Griffey Junior, and here comes Lou, you know, and I'm like, "What is he doing?" Like I'm just like you could see my my body language was like, "Why are you out here?" And he just goes, "Son, what's the problem?" <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you mean? What's the problem? And he goes, it's thirty degrees out. We're winning eight to one. There's Montgomery and ribs in the clubhouse. Throw it over the plate, and then he just walked away. <laughs> That's awesome. That That's is. It. You, you've got a great Lou Pinella impersonation, and, and I, I used to try to do it on this show. That's when the show started. And I'd be, there's just a lot of luck, 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 luck. You got a five run luck uh, lead, and uh, whether the guy misses the error or what, you know, like that, he's got that kind of thing. He just stutters a lot, and, you know, he's always thinking on his feet there. What, what made you start getting? I want to talk a little bit about your showbiz kind of uh, career that you got going, but what made you get into acting? You do the Harry Carey impersonation, you got a little Lou Pinella. Uh, action going you took improv classes i read uh, so you know what when did that start and what what happened in in your did you always act were you in musicals and stuff and plays as a kid wow. or anything yeah i mean if you ask my babysitter when i was a kid she'd say about then is when it started like i actually ran into my my like you know me and two brothers uh, I, I grew up with two younger brothers and my dad is still a kid so you know, my poor mom at the dinner table, it was just us <laughs> movie lines and, you know, jokes. And my dad emails me five, six jokes a week. You know, it's like, he's always trying to find the humor in life. And so I always just kind of had that. And, um, and then playing wise in high school, I was that way. I was the guy who was always pulling pranks, you know, like on, on the basketball road trips, I was putting leaners on guys doors where you fill up the bucket of water, tilt it on, knock on the door. They look up, they don't see anything. Yeah. Just huge waterfall in there. Um, that, that's just always kind of how I was. And, 
Um, and I loved it. And, and I loved it. And I appreciate it when somebody did it to me. I wasn't one of those guys where you can't get me. You just got to be careful. You know, Will Oman's well aware of that. <laughs> I just, I loved it. And, and then as I started playing and I got into, you know, professional baseball and big league baseball, I have the utmost respect for everybody's work ethic and their jobs and things. But if you think you're going to go 187 days, 162 games in 187 days and be serious all the time, it's going to be a grind, man. It's going to be hard and it's going to be really, really tough. And you can do it. Even the best of players will laugh or get along. You just have to know when those moments are. And I just, I feel like that was a huge part of my career was being that guy in the locker room that could, you know, when a guy was really struggling, find a way for him to laugh at himself. If you can laugh at yourself, then that's a lot of fun. 2008, you didn't really struggle in the locker room too much. That team was absolutely amazing. And so many Mm -hmm. people my age, Really just loved that 2007, 2008 team. Uh, 2008, though, you guys went had the best record in baseball, you know, uh, but the finish was kind of disappointing against the Dodgers. But what were things that you remember specifically from that 2008 season? Yeah, just how close we were, you know, like um, and, and how like we really just trusted each other so much from the get-go because we had that good team in 07 and then we got better in the winter. Like we got Jim Edmonds and – you know, we, uh, I know there's, I'm missing some other. Fukudome. Yeah. Fukudome, Kosuke came and, you know, we just, we got better. We got, we got another reliever. We, we were just, we were in a good shape. And then I made that comment in spring training, we were going to win the world series. And it wasn't like, you know, sometimes when guys say stuff like that, it was, you know, you can kind of be like, Oh, I don't know if you should have said that. Everyone's like, all right, cool. Dem said it. Let's go with it. You know, like, and, and it was just a tight group of guys. It didn't matter where you were from. You know, uh, we just we just really, really gelled. You go to dinner and it was 12, 15 guys deep. It was all the time, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of hanging out in the hotel rooms, laughing, you know, uh, joking around, drinking beers. And we just, yeah, we really, really gelled. And and, we're, and a lot of us are still really close to the the day, to this day, you know, that team. And mm-hmm. it it felt that way and we're still that way now. So it doesn't matter if it's Scott Air or Derek Lee or whatever it is. It's just like, we're still all really close. So it's, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a, a great team that we should have won the world series. We had a good enough team. We ran into a hot team. I didn't pitch very well. We didn't play good defense. He didn't pitch well. Um, and, and unfortunately we ran into a team that pitched really well against us. Yeah. I think the fans felt that way about that 2008 team. I was living in New York city at the time and, you know, I'd walk around uh, the park listening at night, listening to Ron Santo, uh, you know, all those, you know, it was such a great season. And up until that point, it was probably the best Cubs team that I had seen. And I really was like, I was telling my, my ex-wife at the time, I was like, Oh man, this is, this is our year. I I know we're going to make it. And then, and then for it to end so quickly, um, was that kind of a shock to you guys? And like and sitting there at the end of that kind of year, I'm like, I can't believe it's over. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, we, you know, we were planning on playing all the way to the end and winning the whole thing and really, and really felt that way. We weren't nervous. It was nothing about that. It was like, it just like, Whoa. Like it just happened so quick, and uh, it really felt that way to us too. I was just like, yeah. like almost like my knees just got cut off. I was like, well, I guess that's it. See you next year. Well, it felt that way for us in the in the dugout. Like after I gave up that grand slam, it felt we felt that from you from the fans. Like we felt the fans. It's almost like like I remember being like, dude, it's only four to two. It's not ten nothing. You know. <laughs> But I think what happened was, is we were so good and we were beating everybody. And especially at Wrigley, we were just lethal. 
it was like, what, what, this isn't supposed to happen. And I think everybody sitting in their seats was like, what's, this is weird. Are we in a nightmare right now? What's going on here? Well, I, we, I, we've heard talk about that game. I kick the ball around the infield, and then and then you're down two zero going to LA. It was really going to be really tough to come back. I, I'm a season ticket holder, so I was I was at those games, and 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 I remember that game you're talking about N, uh, NLDS game one, and it was kind of a tightrope. You kept getting in and out of jams, just real there, and then it was just such an emotional game, even though they were up to nothing, and it was and I, and you were at one two two outs on Loney. With the base yeah, and, the, and the pitch before he fouled off is like when you can go back. He fouled off. I don't even know how he fouled it off. I've watched that pitch so many times. It barely ticks his bat, like just barely hits his bat. And it was the second split I threw it, and I, I remember now thinking, like in the moment, I knew because he was in swing mode that I wanted to throw another one. But it was like ah, I don't know that that was the right pitch, and maybe my lack of conviction in that moment, even though it was, if executed, it might've been the right pitch. I just felt like a high fastball might've been a better play, you know, looking back, but yeah, it's crazy. That little small, tiny little game of inches and game of quarter inches led us, you know, to that four to that grand slam, but, but the grand slam, let's be honest, the grand slam, because I walked a bunch of guys and, you know, I was trying to be too perfect instead of just going right after them because my stuff was incredible that year. And so, now, when, so when the crowd deflated after that, I mean, I, I felt that sitting at a bar in New York City. Like, I, I felt that. I was like, oh, here we go. The stupid Cup fans are going to wreck this again mm-hmm. by, by, you know, by act. It, well, that was game one, correct? So, uh, so, so you know, you can't you can't act like you, you know your your dog just died after you know, as you said, it was only four to two, but Cup fans acted like it was a hundred to two, you yeah. know, and that was kind of our mentality. You weren't on the team that won the World Series, but you won it a few years before that with the Red Sox towards the you know end of your career. Um, that had it, you know, Boston had already gotten over that hump. When you saw the Cubs do it, um, did, did you feel that, that there was just a sort of a momentum? Like you, you were around for the, you know, 3 1 deficit, Cubs come back and win that. You, um, did, did you feel that, I don't know, that, the, that there was something about an inevitability of um, both those championships, the 2013? And the 2016 champ, even though it's two different years, a lot of the same players, key players yeah. on those teams. But did you feel like there was some sort of inevitability that I don't care if we're down three to one, we're come, we're going to win this? And uh, did you feel that with the Red Sox? And did you feel that watching from uh, outside on the two th- or inside outside on the 16 team? Yeah, I, I did because, like you said, we had a lot of the guys, you know, here: Lester, Lackey, Rossi, um, and. Zobra's coming from Worlds, just winning a World Series. You had guys who won. And so there was this incredible sense of, like, especially after 15, you know, you just ran into a buzzsaw of New York Mets. Um, It was like, okay, like, even though it's down 3-1, you know, and even throughout the course of the whole year, it's like, it's already written, just push play. Like, that was kind of like a philosophy that the players take is that, you know, the outcome's there. It's the World Series. It's it's ours to have. And for me, the 2016 team was like being a guy on the 60-day DL with no chance at a rehab assignment. Like, that, those guys treated me. I was in the locker room all the time, probably too much. I probably annoyed them. <laughs> um, I just was just around it, and I watched it from the outside without actually having to be out on the field or in the dugout. I got to watch it 
like to watch how guys were and how they prepared. And I'll never forget walking to the ballpark uh, before game five when Lester pitched. And I, uh, Theo and I walked over there, um, and we were both very calm. He was like, oh, we got this. You know, it wasn't – and he's like high strung as can be, right? Like he's like – it's hard when you don't have control. To, to and you're in you're you're the jefe you're the president of the team but you don't have any control of the outcome is really hard thing to deal with so and he was super calm and I was calm and we just were like yeah we got this like we knew we had Lester and then it was like and and I felt the buzz from the fans felt that way and and that's one thing that fans have to realize is like whether. We can only do what we can do out there as players, but we do feel the energy. And so the guys felt that. If you ask guys, they realize even down 3-1 that everybody it wasn't like, oh, here we go, or like, come on. It was like, no, we're going to win this game, and then we got Arietta going, and we'll get to a game seven, and we'll just figure it out. Like that was kind of the feeling that everybody felt. And so then you get those results. And I think that stemmed from the players acting that way, the fans see them acting that way, talking about things like that, you know, during batting practice and somebody's like, hey, it's your year. And they're like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Get ready for the parade. Like it, when you talk that way, you can, will into, you can will a lot of things into existence if you keep that mindset, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, a team like that in 2016, they didn't need that throughout the course of the regular season. They were so good, boat rolling everybody, beating everybody. We were just cru- cruising. Then the moment they needed that love and support from the fans to be like, we got your back, it was like, oh, man. It was like Hulk Hogan when he's doing the sleeper hold, you know, and it's like one, two, and here come the fans, and it's like, no. <laughs> you know, like that's what it was like for them. They're like, you can't tap us out. We're going, man. I'm going to start we, we here. I'm going to give you a size 13 to the face and a leg drop. Here it comes. The Sun Ranto Show is brought to you by eBay Sneakers. From rare dead stock to the latest release, you can find the exact sneaker you're looking for on eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair that you've been eyeing. And with eBay's authenticity guarantee, a team of independent professional authenticators perform a rigorous inspection of the sneakers you purchase before they're sent to you. So you can shop confidently knowing your pair is the real deal. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers, $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. With other sites, they take as much as 25%. You're going to have a lot of extra money left over for more sneakers. So check out ebay.com slash sneakers today. Oh, one more thing about eBay. Uh, In partnership with eBay, Armchair Media is going to be raffling off four custom-made sneakers. So each purchase you make before March 31st through ebay.com slash sneakers will enter you into a drawing for a one-of-one pair of Air Force One low tops. So just send a screenshot of your purchase to at Armchair Media on Twitter or on Instagram. Our show, The Sun Ranzo Show, is also brought to you by the good people at Bet Online. Uh, now, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all the sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. 
Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, we, we talked about that during that series. The first two games in Chicago were very expensive tickets, and it was a very expensive crowd in there. But by that game five, it was uh, a lot of those tickets were going a lot cheaper, and it seemed like maybe the people coming in had a different perspective, you know, and they were they were just happy to be in there rather than trying to be. Oh, I have to be here because I can afford to be at the first World Series game at Wrigley in you know it was six a, years. You're right, Michael. It was a definitely a different vibe. I went to games three and four, and it was tight. And I was yelling at people. I was like, "Hey, everybody, loosen up! Come on! This is all year long. We've had this momentum, and now you got a bunch of people that spent three thirty five hundred dollars on one seat for one ball game, and that's a heck of a lot of money. To it's just a baseball game, people. You know, but then. I got a friend into the bleachers for a grant on the last night uh, or on the game five. And yeah, it was, I guess it wasn't that cheap. I, you know, it was cheaper. But a thousand bucks. Well, it's a one third the price than my friend Paul put, paid up in the Highland Park. So uh, anyway, it's just like, and so you, I think you did have a different crowd. And, and that's what I felt, Ryan. It's just like that, you know, 2008, that one pitch, four to two, and everybody acted like, you know, the sky was falling and the world was over. I felt that in games three and four. So, it's that here we go again mentality that Cub fans had that I felt like screwed you over in 2008 that maybe we just kind of got over that hump in one game called game five, you know, in, in, um, in 16. So, but that's, Hey, that's the way it goes. And, and for me, I'm always a big believer in the fact that uh, things happen for a reason, you know, and that was the team that was destined to win. And that, and that's, that's super cool, and it and, and we all learn from that, right? I think I think Cub fans, there was a lot of talk about that, and I think Cub fans learned from that, and that's why I think you felt that. And I, I totally agree. Like, you know, for a Cub fan, I, I knew a lot of people who were season ticket holders, and they're like, I can sell games three and four and pay for all of my season tickets, and then I'll go to game five. And so you did have that. Like, even when the, the – uh, whoever it was hit the homer off of Lester – it wasn't like, oh, God, it was like, okay, cool, let's go. And it was just this awesome it, – it was really awesome to, to witness it as a person who was out there on that mound for eight and a half seasons um, wearing that uniform to sit in the stands amongst all the fans and be a fan and cheer for those guys. I could feel it without a doubt. It was, it was a special, special, incredible special year. There will be nothing like it. We'll never – unless – and there will be nothing like it because – the Seattle Mariners could go and go a hundred years without winning, but it's not the Cubs. You know what I mean? I'm not knocking the Seattle Mariners. I just saying like, you know, they didn't get a team there until the late sixties. It's like this, this is like the epitome of the greatest sports championship ever, ever won. Not even like 50 years from now when the Browns win a Super Bowl, like <laughs> that, that won't even be as, as good as this. You know, it's a pretty incredible thing. Well, maybe 21, 24 when it's been another 108 years, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, Ryan, you know, people don't realize sometimes that you had a big role in that 2016 team. Because of you, the Cubs got Kyle Hendricks. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a weird time, you know. I, I never wanted to leave Chicago. Um, and I was going through a divorce at the time and I had three kids. I had three kids and now I got four. But um, And, you know, so to 
people were like, you know, it's, it's weird when people are like, Oh, you know, he's not accepting this trade or he's not doing this. And it's like, you know, how hard I had to work to get 10 years <laughs> and five with the same team. And then I love this city and I love going to Wrigley field, even when we're losing, because I'm trying to set an example to those other players about how to go about your business so that maybe they can be on a winning team. And it's like, but well, you should just accept a trade. And it's like, that's what people don't understand. It's like, yeah, but I, I love it here. I don't, I don't want to go play in Atlanta. I don't want to go play in St. Louis. I don't want to go pl- I want to play here. So you had to like I had to like really really like figure out what was the best for me. And fans weren't trying to run you out of town either. No. You know, like so you were getting the love from the fans too. That's tough. Yeah, yeah and it was hard because it's like don't go and it's like man and then but I also understood the business and Theo was really great from from the beginning of spring training like hey dude Listen, there might be a chance at some point if we're not going to be in this that you might have to be traded. So I just go, I don't want you to be caught off guard unless you're always trying to talk about this. And then as the season went on, and then I really want to go to the Dodgers because one of my best friends, Ted Lilly, was there and they had a really good team. And I was like, all right, let's, let's go to LA. I'm from the West Coast. I'm like, this would be great. And um, it just didn't work out. I talked to Ned Cletty, it wouldn't work out. And so then I'm over in the offices and you know, they're like, get, get now it's getting tight, right? Because now they got like, they're, I, I'm dealing. I got like a two, two, five ERA, and, uh, you know, I'm getting all these phone Hey, will you go here? Will you go, um, you know, will you go here? No. And he's like, we go to the Yankees. I'm like, shave my beard? No way. You know? <laughs> right. And then he goes, how about Texas? And I was like, ooh, like multiple reasons. One, I was drafted by Texas. So to go back to the original roots of it all was really appealing, and they had a really good team. So I was like, yeah. And he's like, we like we like the package. They're two young prospects that, you know, we figure one of them could be good. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. It was like five minutes before. They faxed the paperwork over, the, you know, and I'm like just in the, in the other office going, <laughs> like what, listen to a fax go through. And <laughs> I got I got traded to Texas, and, and it worked out. It was awesome. It was, a, it was a great place to go, a great place to play. Texas is a phenomenal first-class organization, and I got to go back there and, and pitch my first couple two out of my first three starts sucked, but after that it was it was a enjoyable pitch even though it was the american league and you talked about how hard you didn't want to leave chicago you didn't want to leave wrigley i can tell you because i'm always around the ballpark i used to see you and ted either biking or walking or you just what what, what about playing at wrigley just was different than the other places you played it uh well you're truly in a neighborhood you know even fenway's great but you don't have all four sides going around like you do at, at wrigley it's you know it's the corner bars, the people, you know, the walking home and it's like, Hey, jump, you know, I want a beer. It's like, sure. Let's play a game of bags. Let's go Cornwall. You know? uh, and you also, you also ball hawk, correct? Yeah, I, I have, I, I have been out there. I, I enjoy, I enjoy that. Well, I got to know Ken Kiefer so well, cause his, him and his boys from the moment I was there, I mean, they were there before I was there, but I watched those two grow up and, uh, and become men and, and really became friends with him and, you know, knowing people around the ballpark and, um, you know, Phil Grinstead, who was right on the wall with me, we would tell, you know, a joke every day when I come down the bullpen and um, I love it, you know, and I got a chance to actually stop by uh, in ball Hawk a couple times. One time on my bike just pulled up and, uh, and actually I was literally there like 30 seconds and, uh, and Mo who's out there, I go, Hey Mo, are they taking BP today? And, uh, and he goes, uh, just the Astros. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, you know. And Or no, it was the Brewers. He goes, just the Brewers. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, I think they're getting ready to start. And all of a sudden, like, I've been there 30 seconds. I just looped my bike back around, so I was facing the air. 
incoming. <laughs> and I look up, and here comes the ball, and I just reach up with my bare hand. Mo's behind me. Some dude's in front of me. They both got gloves, and I bare hand it. I get on my bike, and I just ride away. I flip the ball back and go, hey, happy to help out, boys. See you later. <laughs> I, I, I actually have the video right here. Hold on. Just so nonchalant. Hey, good seeing you guys. Take it easy. <laughs> You're on your bike. Those two guys, they're tall and they got their gloves, and you just sit there and just put up the hand, and it's right there. Well, and that's the entertainer in you right there. You knew this is my exit. You didn't have to leave. You didn't have anywhere to go. You're just like, this is my exit. If I throw this, legendary. Yes. <laughs> You're exactly right. As soon as I caught it, I'm like, don't overreact. You've done this before. <laughs> right away, man. Just right away. And so, no, with, with the uh, like the performance aspect and knowing that that comedy thing, you you know you did off the mound. You've been hosted at Cubs Con, and you've got the show or uh, on uh, on uh, Marquee Sports Network now. And you're interviewing yeah, Andre Dawson on. I saw that episode. Really cool stuff. You know, getting to know some of these guys. Do you have aspirations to maybe be like David Letterman, you know, or, or like do that? I know you're doing it now, kind of already, but would you take that on a more national level? And you know, if if that opportunity came up to really host a, a talk show like that, yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel comfortable. I'm I'm still learning the craft of interviewing guys and and doing that, and really, you know, focusing on trying to hone that as much as possible. Um, you know, I would love to get back into an improv class again and. And doing those things, I was loving the stand-up. I, you know, before COVID hit, I was in New York, New Jersey, you know, Chicago, trying to get up and do that as much as I could. Um, and I, I love it, and and I just love the the avenue of humanizing these guys a little bit, you know, um, or you know, talking to them about who they are just a little bit, so that we can just remember that sometimes. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's fantasy sports or betting on baseball. You know, like sports betting, not Pete Rose betting on baseball, but like, you know, sports booking that all of a sudden, like, we don't like a player because he strikes out. Like, the dude tried to strike out in that moment. You know, like, he was like, you know what I think I'm going to do right here with the bases load? I'm going to go up and punch out. This would be fun. <laughs> I want to see these fans sad. Let's yeah. go. And it's like, the, and, and so it's, you know, we never know what's going on in somebody's life uh, behind the scenes, what they're dealing with, you know, uh, and so if we can just humanize it, don't, hey, guy doesn't run down to first base, boo his ass all day. <laughs> boo him. Boo him. If you don't hustle, that's all you got to do. You get paid $30 million a year to play baseball. If you can't run hard four times in a game, if you don't walk, strike out, get hit by a pitch, or hit a homer, all I take out of you is four times a day, I'm going to need you to run hard. That's it. If you can't do that, boo. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of people sitting in seats that would gladly try that out. So, like, that's my only time for booing. I understand being frustrated. I understand the boos, but, like, the true meanness of it all. So for me, that's the passion behind it. Plus I love, there's so many guys sometimes, you know, like we see them and we just see them play and then we get to see them and I got to see them and I, I see them in a locker room or in a hotel room playing the guitar. They got some hidden talent and we're like, Whoa. So let's show that. Let's highlight that. And, you know, baseball players occasionally used to be a celebrity, right? Like the Mickey Mantle was a celebrity, Joe DiMaggio. Now everybody knows everybody. Social media, the guys have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. They want to see what's up with this guy and, you know, know what they're up to in the offseason and not just baseball. So it's a lot well, of fun. 
Now, yeah. now, Ryan, I saw you do your stand up. This is uh, with uh, at John Vincent's show at Rizzo's, where you opened up, and and we we love Johnny, great guy. Um, yeah. But you also did. I thought this was amazing. You kind of came out of the bullpen when Jeff Garland couldn't do Rizzo's laugh off for cancer. It was a, a charity. How hard was it? Was that compare that to like closing a game? Like you weren't asked. You just all of a sudden just kind of came up and did it. How hard was that? Yeah. And I, cause like, I didn't really have anything scripted, you know, it was like, Oh man, like, sure. I'll do this. Like I, I had some material in my head, but like for that actual van, I, so I just kind of was like, well, like, you know, guys, we do this to each other all the time. And I was like tight with a lot of those guys. I'm like, I'm just going to roast them all. Yeah. You know, just bash every one of them. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of a lot of fun. And, you know, I think that, I think honestly it, it was a, it was an adrenaline rush. It really was. Pitching in front of 40,000 people at Wrigley Field for a lot of my life and around the big leagues and playing in Worlds, it's hard sometimes to uh, move the needle. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is, this is really exciting right now. Or I'm, I'm nervous as hell. Like, that was one of those moments where, like, I think I was sweating. I'm like, I'm nervous right now. I got all these players in here. Man, Joe Madden's over there. You know, we're at this big fundraiser, and I got to, and it's, and I loved it, and so, and that really like catapulted me into doing more stand up and and doing different things. So yeah, it's uh, it was it, it was definitely like the time I you know pitched in the All Star game in ninety uh, the oh eight All Star game. It was like you're not going to pitch, oh, okay? I got my shoes undone and I'm taking a leak, and next thing you know, it's a tie game in the bottom of the ninth. Hey, you're in. What? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Now I, I am a I gotta admit I'm a Cubs Con fanatic. I love Cubs Con and Cub Con fanatics are very picky. Like if anything's new, they don't like it. And so like it's it, they're still like pining for win, lose, or draw and stuff like that. But 2015, we're sitting there and we take a look and what's this off the mound Dempster? We had we had no idea what it was. And you came out and you absolutely just, we it just has now become something that people really look forward to. Uh, this is when you had the 08 team playing some uh, flippy cup. Flip cup. You had uh, you had Rizzo that first year taking some uh, BP for you. You even got Theo to kind of play this game with the mouth, trying to get him to guess. Uh, Wait, did you have Theo taking like? Isn't that from the movie Saw? No, <laughs> 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 well, uh, we played Speak Out. Jed, by the way, did not want to do. That's why I love Theo. He was not afraid to make himself look vulnerable or put himself in a vulnerable position. Jed's like, wait, wait, I got to put this in my mouth and, you know, like look weird. You know, it was really funny. He was like, I don't want to do this, but he did it. And they both manned up and it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> can you, can you tell us though how off the mound kind of came to be part of Cubs Con? Was that your idea or how did that all kind of evolve? Yeah. Well, kind of a collective idea. Max Berman, who uh, used to work for the Cubs, Max, um, ran in-game uh, stuff at the uh, at the field and dealt with a lot of the celebrities and players and first pitches and all those kind of things. And he just was like, hey, him and Jim Obojkovic were like, hey, would you be interested in, you know, hosting a kind of a variety show? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what we'll do. And uh, so the first year we did it, you know, just writing up everything from a monologue. I mean, it, it was I, – I, I didn't eat or drink after noon because <laughs> they, they didn't have a bathroom break for two and a half hours. And it was just, you know, putting these guests together. And then the fun part was all the little videos, the digital, uh, the little shorts that we'd filmed. And uh, 
I know I really need to make a note of that to not do that before this podcast. Yeah, he, 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 <laughs> no, he, 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 some sort of catheter or depends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll have to have a five-hour show sometime and just depends the whole thing and see how yeah. that goes. No, that you know, who's weighs the most at the end, you know. <laughs> Hey, now, I know you've uh, noticed that there have been quite a few ads on uh, this interview with Ryan Dempster here. Well, uh, you know how you can not have ads? You uh, become a patron, a Patreon patron at patreon.com slash sunranto. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O. And when you do that, you're helping out the show and you get access to an early and ad-free RSS feed that you can paste into any podcatcher and you will never hear another ad on the Sunrancer show again. Okay? So uh, don't make me come back there. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. Get it done today. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love those shows that you do. And I, I love it when a, when a ball player, like you said, Oh, they can play guitar. Like I know uh, John Baker has been on this show a few times. He's, he loves playing guitar. He's, he, you know, he's got other interests outside of baseball. Ian Happ has his podcast, which he went on. It uh, was that last year, I believe, sometime. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, and people don't realize that, you know, this is a, perf- this is performance. You know, I know that there's a physical athlete part of it that people don't think of as the same as being a stand-up comedian or a musician or something. But I really do see the connections, especially when it comes to somebody like you. So how, I think you explained a little bit about the adrenaline and the difference between like execution, but what do you think is harder? Uh, I mean, to you, are, are you more nervous as a performer or are you, or are you more nervous like going up to the mound uh, back when you were? Uh, I'm more nervous as a performer, but it's easier. Like, you know, when you're pitching, it's like, all right, you know, I know, I know what's gonna, what I'm ready for. Like, I've done it so many times, been doing this since I was a kid. It's just a game between the lines. It's the same thing. It's harder though. Like, you're, you're, you, every game's different. It always changes. The outcome can change. How you deal with emotions up there, it's easy because once I'm just more worried that the video is going to go at the right time, and you know, I'm, you know. I'm not sitting there not smile. I want to smile. I, I'm entertaining. I'm trying to make sure people are having fun. That's what we're there for. We're there to laugh and have fun. So I want to make sure that they hit. There's the joke that I'm going to tell is, do I deliver it the right way? Am I practicing enough? Am I going through my mod? So I'm more nervous that it's going to come off the right, how I, how I perceive it in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know, when I'm playing a baseball game, I just know, I, I know what I'm ready for and I'm prepared. It's the hard part is actually executing and getting it done. Speaking about execution, you know, of all the Cub luck, the first year they have their own first their own channel, pandemic, and I'm just curious, what did you what would you what did you envision for Off the Mound as a TV show? I've seen it live at CubsCon for years. You gave me a Budweiser every year. You would hand it to me because I'm always in the first row. But what did you envision for Off the Mound as far as being on marquee? Yeah, like we actually before all this hit, we were. Um we were going to film it at um, stage seven, seven, three. So we were going to do like a live studio audience, probably about a hundred to 120 people in there with the band and everything. Uh, the hemispheres, you know, that's how the, when we first did the show um, in 2015 and 16, we had no band. And then uh, my good buddy, Pat Muldoon, who's the uh, guitar player for the hemispheres was like, 
I talked to him about it. I said, I would love to do this and just add the music element. So it is like that late night talk show. Um, and so my vision of the show isn't, you know, filming it from home, but that that's okay. You know, circumstances are what they are. I love the interviews. I'm having fun doing that. Um, but it's also faster, right? You're 20, your half hour show, it's 22 minutes of content. You get, you know, two eight, eight minute interviews in a, in a B block and a C block. There's not much left for the, uh, the, the fun stuff that I love to do. Um, so if we could be able to do that again, that would be great, but it was just fun. You know, here we were in a pandemic. We left, we rented a place in Lake Geneva. Um, my ex has a place up there. So the kids were, we were a mile away from each other. It was great. You know, we're just kids that can go back and forth. And I'm like, sitting there drinking scotch one night and I'm like, I wonder if I could just do this from home. So I start texting guys in my phone and I'm just going through and playing online poker. And I'm like, I'm just everybody I got. I'm like, would you be interested? Would you be interested? And I'm like, they're, they're kind of free, you know, like their schedule is wide open. So, and they, and they just were like, yep, yep, yep. And I'm like, Oh, right on. And, uh, and then, you know, I just called Marquis and I, I said, Hey, I'd, I'd be willing to do this. Um, my first one I did from like the look like a sauna, you know, it was like <laughs> a, a sunroom at the rental house and uh, with Trout and Rizzo, and and it was just a blast. Got Trout to change a diaper, um, <laughs> nailed it. Shocker, he's just good at everything he does. So right, <laughs> he he did it while running back towards the wall. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what, Ryan? It, it makes me interest. It interests me that you say that because you know baseball does such a poor job. I feel of marketing their stars where what you're talking about is humanizing them. Here's Mike Trout changing a diaper. It's, it's funny. And, and, and I wish MLB would kind of pay more attention to that kind of doing more to kind of make their stars bigger, to give them more exposure, to, to humanize them like you were talking about. Well, yeah, like what are you going to do, show another Mike Trout highlight of him and a homer? Cool. You know, awesome. Great. Hey, Mike, you made a good catch. No kidding. Oh, what would you finish, second in MVP or first this year? It's like, you know, but to see Mike Trout change a diaper, I'm like, right on, man. Like, this is, and for him to, you know, be a part of that. And so fans are like, and he can do that. Oh, man, you know, we're like, you know, I'm surprised Huggies wasn't calling and being like, hey, we'd love to do a commercial. <laughs> Mike doesn't like to do commercials, so that's okay. But, yeah, like, I think I think it just shows that they're more than just the ball player and, you know, and relatable. You know, when when guys are a little bit more relatable, it makes us feel better. Like, when a superstar is, like, you can you can actually like feel like you can touch them. It's like oh, right on. That's yeah. You know what? I get that. You know I understand that. Or tell me a, a tough story or a moment you had or whatever it was. Or Sean Casey sharing the story about you know after beating us in in '04 and then having the bus driver stop in front of Guthrie's and running in and telling all the Cubs fans to suck it. Son of a gun, you know. So it's pretty funny. My last real great moment before this pandemic started was the extra inning festival. I was at the inning festival in uh, Arizona. How much of a role did you play in kind of getting all of that off the ground? And how and is that just intersecting your musical interest again with your comedy and with baseball? Yeah. So um, MLB and Mary Beck, who was the uh, head of marketing for Major League Baseball uh, product or TV, MLB TV. She set up the year before, uh, the first year of the Innings Fest, me and Jim Tomey went out and we interviewed some different musicians. You know, there's always the saying, athletes want to be rock stars, rock stars want to be athletes, you know. And there's just, I think there's just a common uh, respect for each other. Uh, you know, they're up there on a stage. Uh, you know, I'm out there in the middle of the mound. 
it's kind of like the same type of feeling at times. Like you're a little bit vulnerable and you're a little bit like, it's up to you to just make it happen right here. And everybody's watching. Um, so, but we always had this appreciation and then music is such a huge part of baseball, like ginormous part of baseball, you know, from the minor leagues, from Fogarty playing center field, you know, blaring through every minor league park to the, you know, the Oregon Wrigley to take me out to the ball game. I mean, and it, and it just has like endless, you know, walk-up songs and all. We, the minute anybody who's a baseball fan, you could be somewhere, you could be at the gym and you hear Hell's Bells, you're like, where's Trevor Hoffman? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know? and so I, I approached Tim Sweetwood, who's the, the gentleman who runs the festival. And I was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in us doing the show? We could build a little stage somewhere. First, we were going to do it on one of the stages in between as like one of the musical acts. And he's like, well, I already have everything built. Why don't we build a stage over by the, um, the the baseball stuff? And I was like, perfect. And and uh, we did uh, we did a couple shows, um, our shows, and they were awesome. And we got great guests. And you know, Eddie came up on the last night, uh, surprise to all the guests. You know, we didn't we didn't say who was going to be there, and we just interviewed these guys, and we had an absolute blast. And we incorporated music, and we had the band playing, and everything. So it's like you're at a music festival, got the hemispheres playing music, and we're talking to these. Players who, by the way, you can learn to hit from them at the batting cage in 45 minutes or you can get pitching tips from Roger Clemens. And then we can interview them and you can see that side. Like, And, you know, the best compliment I got was my uncle. He didn't – he wasn't a big fan of, of Rockets. He didn't like uh, – not you, but uh, – <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, but you just don't know him like I do. He's like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not a fan, you know. And afterwards, he said to me, he said, man, thanks, dude. He's like, I judged him on something that, A, I don't really know anything about, you know, only what I've read in papers or people's articles. I don't know. And he goes, and I love the interview, and I and I and now I, I'm a Roger Clemens fan. And I'm like, that's what this is about, man. It's like we all go through life, man. If we all think we're perfect human beings, and shame on you, we've all done things that we probably – maybe not, but we've all done things we probably wish we would have done a little differently – and at the end of the day, he's a really good dude. And so it was really, you know, that was, and now we're good. We did it again. And it was, you know, four shows in two days. We're doing half hour, 40 minute shows. And now we're doing, we've already signed on to do the 2022 show. And three weeks later, we're going to do it down. In- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tampa for the first time, so it means oh. out of Tampa too, so... You know, it's just been a lot of fun, and I love music, and I love baseball, and to meld them together just seemed like a, you know, just a logical thing to do. Well, if you ever want to live out your rock and roll fantasies with the Bleacher Bum Band, opening day at G-Man Tavern, you can take the stage, <laughs> and we'll, we'll play whatever song you want. All right. <laughs> and you, you, can, you can rock out with us. Yeah. Uh, we, we had uh, last uh, year, right when the pandemic hit, we uh, talked to Chris Bryant's father, uh, Mike and uh, and he plays a little guitar and so yeah. I, so I told him he's welcome too so we might have a, we might just leave the stage actually and just let you guys <laughs> do your thing the 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 Dempster and Mike Bryant band um, well we really appreciate your time here tonight uh, you know Ryan I know uh, you know as we're just starting spring training uh, we're about at the anniversary of where everything got banged last year with uh, when everything hit and got canceled. And then we ended up with a 60 game season, but we're looking, I'm looking forward to 162. I'm looking forward to seeing more off the mound. I'm looking forward to, I really hope that happens at stage seven, seven, three. I've, I've actually sound designed a show down there. It's a great venue. And, uh, and uh, I would, I would love for that to happen. I think that'd be such an exciting thing for Cubs fans to see more of you. And you're just such an entertaining guy in so many ways and just appreciate your time tonight with us and uh hope hopefully you'll come back on and visit us again and tell us more war stories and we got to get you out to club 400 out in oh. lake hills where we've uh our friend stewart uh, carl is drinking the beer that our friend stewart has raised uh over half a million dollars for different charities having cub players come we have to get you out there too sometime but uh really thank you thank you so much for coming on and um you know, I, I don't know what else to say except thanks, man. And uh, you know, we talk we talk on this we talk on the show a lot about how you know players you know with the fans as far as the way they treat them. You've always been a stand up guy with the fans, whether it's the ball hawks, the bleacher bums, whoever. You've always been a stand up guy to the fans, and that's why you you were so beloved as a player, and that's why people still enjoy being around you now. Is that you you don't big time people. You always treat people with kindness and empathy, and it was. And I'm just so glad you were able to come on. Well, no, I appreciate it. You know, at the end of the day, I understand that this game is nothing without the fans. Like when I retired, they didn't, they didn't like stop playing baseball. They just kept playing. You know, when the greatest players in the game stop, they, the games keep going. And, um, you know, we, we are owed nothing. We, we owe everything to the game of baseball and to the fans. And I think that the fact that 2020 happened highlighted that more than anything um, that, we can play a 60-game season with empty stadiums, but it's not the same. And and I can't wait to see fans at Wrigley Field to see you guys at Wrigley Field. And and uh, I appreciate you letting me come on and share some stories because the fans are what it's all about. Those are the memories, you know, hearing them cheer cheer your name and 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 applause you after a good outing and and uh, and you know and booing you when you run down the line not as fast as you should to kick you in the butt. Just remind you, hey man, play hard. But. Uh, no, I, I appreciate coming, you guys having me on, and I'd be uh, I'd be thrilled to come on again some other time. Awesome, thank you so much, and uh, thank you, Ryan. That's great. For, 
for all the Sunranto show people out there. Uh, we're, we're probably going to come back at, at you on maybe Sunday or sometime next week. Thanks for uh, tuning in, everybody. And uh, I'm going to play a, a going out song uh, <laughs> about about some not so great fans that were once in uh, Wrigley Field a couple years ago. Um, here's the Bleacher Bum Band and No Fighting in the Bleachers. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys next time we do a show. No fighting in the bleachers! No fighting in the bleachers! No fighting in the bleachers! There is no fighting in the bleachers! What did your mama teach you? There is no fighting in the bleachers! So take that shit outside! There is no fighting in the bleachers! What did your mama teach you? There is no fighting in the bleachers! So take that shit outside!